Jehovah is his name. Mighty warrior. And I don't know that we ever need a time more than now in this nation when we need the warrior, Jehovah. As I shared with you before on this coming Thursday, September 6th, there's going to be a rally in Washington, D.C. called A Call to Conscience. The rally is a response to the August 1st meeting that Donald Trump had with some select clergy as an attempt to demonstrate his effort to work with the black community on the issue of criminal justice reform. The meeting was called Donald Trump Meets with Inner City Pastors and is the culmination of the work of his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, Pastor Paula White, Bishop Harry Jackson, and some others. Many of the pastors in attendance gave the appearance that they were representing their denominations and our community. And it has since been noted that after that meeting, their denominations uh, sort of took them to task. And now many of them are distancing themselves from even associating with this White House. But while they try to do that, the claim is that it is better to be at the table than not. In fact, Pastor John Gray, in his opening prayer, quoted Dr. King and said, we cannot influence a table that we are not seated at. And so we pray that this conversation will be fruitful and productive and honoring of the best traditions of this nation. As some of you may or may not know, the very policy that they were celebrating Mr. Trump about was eventually brought to his desk to sign. And he vetoed it, saying, <laughs> now was not a good time. So it seems that all those inner city pastors were invited to a table that they really could not influence. Their meeting turned out to be nothing more than a photo op and a chance for Mr. Trump to parade them in front of all the world in the form of public buffoonery. One pastor even mentioned that Donald Trump is the most pro-black president he has ever seen. So on this Thursday, September the 6th, the African Methodist Episcopal Church called a call to conscience rally in D.C. And at this rally, it's the real black church saying to Donald Trump, if you really want to meet the black church, here we are. And so all across the Connectional AME Church, we've been asked on this Sunday to preach messages and sermons that place an emphasis on social justice. And that I intend to do. To help me with that on this communion Sunday of all, I'd like you to turn with me to the gospel 
according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter and the first to the 14th verses. Here we find these words recorded. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and even killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Verse 8. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you can find there, invite those to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. In the context of today's focus on social justice and this peculiar text that I have been led to by the Holy Spirit, I want to speak from this topic. Simply, you're invited. Now, we're going to go to school for a moment. If you've been in my mess sermons long enough, you know that we shout when we need to. We get excited when we have to. But we learn when we must. For the truth of the matter is, is that if we, all we do is shout and jump around all day long and not be edified, we do a greater disservice to our cause of advancing the kingdom of God. So we're going to do some learning today. The term social justice is a concept that is actually used to describe the, the, the principle of fair and just relations between individuals and the society in which they live. It is measured by things such as the distribution, the fair and equitable distribution of wealth, opportunities for personal growth as well as social privileges. So when any of these things are compromised, we have an issue with social justice. In essence, when we talk about social justice, we're really saying that everyone in a given society is allowed to play or should be allowed to play by the same rules as everyone else. And there is no extra privilege or opportunity given to one person over the other. Social justice is a principle, and like most principles, it only works when everyone in the society agrees and adheres and conforms to the rules of that kind of principle. In the founding document of these United States, we know it to be the Constitution, we find these words recorded. We, the people of the United States, 
in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Thus, that's what's recorded in what we know to be the preamble, the beginning part of the Constitution of the United States. Now, just to be clear, here is what it's saying. The document was written specifically to what? To form a more perfect society, to establish justice, to ensure peace, to provide security, to promote a decent quality of life, to exercise freedom, and to prosper. That's why the document was written. These are the reasons why it was created. And to help accomplish this mission, the Constitution of the United States did three very important things in the first three articles. Number one, it established a Congress to make the laws and have oversight and governance over the affairs of the United States. That's the role of the Congress. The second thing it did in the article was it established the executive branch, which we know to be the president of the United States, with the sole responsibility of being the representative of the people, for the people, and by the people, and also to speak on our behalf in matters domestic and international. Finally, it established, with the third article, the judiciary which is the folks who are charged with interpreting the laws and the ordinances so that they are proper in their effective administration. That's an amazing document. Now the document at its inception, brothers and sisters, was not perfect. Over time, it had to undergo a few changes, which would bring greater clarification to some of the terms that was used in the document itself. For example, and I'm glad you asked, it used this word called citizen. And it didn't quite define what a citizen was. And so if you know your history, if you're born in the United States, you are a citizen. So the question comes, what do you do with people who were dragged here as slaves who had babies here? What do you do with those? Because if the rule is you're born here, you're a citizen, it means that you have access to everything I talked about in the preamble. Everything I, to promote a decent quality of life, to exercise freedom, to prosper, for security, to establish justice, to have peace. All of this stuff as it builds a more perfect society. What do you do now with these Negroes that are born here in, and, and, and you have to now adhere and conform to the document? What do you do with that? So what they did with that was they said, well, let's make them three-fifths of a person. You see, if you are three-fifths of a person, even if you're born here, you can't be a citizen, for you must be a full person to be a citizen. So they solved that problem. Three-fifths of a person. Problem solved. 
So whether you're dragged here and then you end up being born here, if your complexion and your hue doesn't match those who are legally here to have all the rights and privileges and you're only three-fifths of a person, we ain't got to worry about you because you're not a citizen. So these kinds of issues led to the document being fixed. And we know these fixes commonly as the amendments. And there is 25 of them. Now, I'm not going to go through all 25. I'm just going to pick out a few that was written to correct this document. Number one, the freedom of expression and religion. Amendment two, the right to bear arms. Amendment seven, the right to a trial by jury. Amendment 13, we all know the 13th Amendment, the abolition of slavery. Amendment 15, the right to vote. And finally, Amendment 19, the right of a woman to vote. So as far as the Constitution is concerned, and as it is written, anyone who is classified as a citizen of these United States is invited to the party and is seated at the table. If you are a citizen, you are invited to the party and you are seated at the table. But Reverend Minson, there's a problem. In order to form a more perfect society, we all need to accept, everyone need to accept these principles that are consistent with the mission and the vision that the founding fathers had for this nation. Now, when I went through those first things, and I'm not going to go through all of them again, but I kind of want to break them down a little bit just to show you the problem I'm talking about. I'm still talking about social justice. Listen, we're going to learn something today. The first one was to establish justice. That was one of the reasons why they created the document, to establish justice. Yet, yet. African-Americans and Hispanics, too, who make up only about 32% of the entire population account for almost 56% of those incarcerated. Furthermore, African-Americans are incarcerated at more than five times the rate of whites. The bottom line is, as it comes to justice, it seems that African-Americans and Hispanics have not been invited to the party and they're not seated at the table. The other thing was that it was to ensure peace. That's a big one. You got this group called the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, and throughout the United States history, they are a real terrorist organization that no one wants to acknowledge. The group used terrorism, both physical and, and, and other means, to assault and murder people that they didn't like or look like them. Now, to be clear, White nationalist groups are terrorists. And it is sad that even now in 2018, after all that this nation has been through, we yet we have a chief executive that considers these hate group terrorists very fine people. Yet almost no African Americans are in chief roles in his administration. It just seems to me, Brother John, 
that African Americans are not invited to the party, nor are seated at the table. To provide security, that's a biggie, check this out. American police shoot and kill far more people than police in other countries. They trigger happy. Black people are much more likely to be shot by police than their white peers. Now, you don't believe me. Watch this. Of all the people killed by police, you can see blacks make up 31%. Hispanics about 12% and whites 52%. Now, everybody would say, well, cops kill more white people than they do black people. That would be a true statement. But percentages matter. Because you only kill more because there are more of them. But when you look at the rate, this tells a completely different story. Watch this. 39% of people killed by police while not attacking. In other words, they're not even threatened, but yet they take you out. Listen, you need to understand where you live because I'm talking about the Constitution of the United States that was written to protect citizens. So it seems to me that African Americans and Hispanics are not invited to the party nor seated at the table. Now I'll just tackle one last one, which is to prosper. This nation was built on the skill and talent, hard work, and determination of immigrants to this country. Whether Italian, Jewish, Irish, West Indian, Asian, Middle Eastern, you name it, this country would not be where it is today if it were not without the talented people from all over the world that was coming here and bringing their gifts, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. They have come not seeking a handout but to contribute to this society in its effort to become what? A more perfect union. Yet our chief executive would have you believe that the people who are coming here are not our friends. They bring in drugs, they bring in crime, they bring in rapists, and some I assume are good people. I'm an immigrant, and I can tell you that like many of you, this nation benefited from me being here as much as I benefited as well. I came here, my friend Furry is there, we came here and we studied and we contributed to this nation and it's great because people like us are here. But it seems we're not invited to the party nor seated at the table when you rip babies from their mothers and their fathers at the borders. I spend quite a bit of time right now talking about the Constitution of the United States because I need you to understand the context of what I'm talking about. We need to all recognize that there are some people that believe in the principles and the ideals of this nation and there are others who have power but don't believe in the very same document that places them in office in the first place. When they stand and they swear that oath of allegiance, they are saying that they believe what the document stands for, yet their policies and their rules and their decision-making and their judgments are completely antithetical to what the document says. They are hypocrites. This is supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. When you go to the Statue of Liberty, you find inscribed, give me your tired, give me your poor, your huddled masses, 
yearning to breathe free. This is what the founders of the United States envisioned for this America, but something has gone dreadfully wrong with this experiment, and, and the church is woefully silent. So, in our text, we find Jesus telling a parable. And he says there's this wedding banquet that's being held by a king for his son. Many people were invited to this banquet. And the table was set. And it was lavished the way the king would prepare it. In fact, the king's servants went out and joyfully invited all the people who were to come to this wonderful celebration. They got the invitation, but the Bible tells us that they even mocked what the servants were telling them. And they looked down on the king's invitation to the point that they even killed the very servants who were giving them the invitation. This is a tragedy in the text. The Bible then tells us that the king was now enraged and being now angry and upset, he sends his army out and to wipe out all of those ungrateful people. And then he says to his servants, go find some vagabonds, both rich and poor, some regular folk, some nobody people, and bring them. And the Bible tells us that the wedding banquet was full with all these people. It seems to me that those who were invited and had the opportunity refused to attend the party and to sit at the table. This is a different twist. The tragedy of this parable and the way I've contextualized it for you in terms of now social justice is that we live in a nation that considers itself for the most part a Christian nation. We have very public displays, particularly by the white evangelical movement that are extremely vocal about the pro-life agenda, yet incredibly silent about gun violence that led to the killing of children in Sandy Hook. They, 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 they talk about protecting the rights of gun owners, yet are silent about police shootings of unarmed citizens. Oh yes they do, they, they, they espouse Christian charity, yet decry the civil liberties of people who wish to live with the freedoms that they choose. They, they, they say they promote family values, yet say absolutely nothing about the separation of babies from their parents at the borders. They talk about moral values, yet look the other way at the immorality of our chief executive. The truth is, most of these white evangelicals are comfortable with their hypocrisy because they are more white than Christian. And what we have, according to Kevin Cruz, is, who's a history professor at Princeton, he said these words about this nation, one nation under God. He says, taken together, and this breaks my heart, taken together, Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, and Paula White have embraced Trump's embrace of the twin ideologies of Christian nationalism and capitalist Christianity. They have embodied that together. And I'm telling you, the king is enraged. I couldn't agree with him more. It seems to me that the white evangelical community, in their silent complicity, represent in all of its nuances the people in the parable that Jesus said was invited 
to the wedding banquet in honor of the king's son. They are the ones that was invited. But the Bible lets me see that they choose not to really sit with Jesus. They receive the invitation to participate and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. To walk humbly with God. To clothe the naked. To feed the hungry. To protect the strangers. Even the ones at the border. To preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those that are abused by violence. And to bring liberation to the oppressed. But instead... Instead, they deny the invitation to be able to participate in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. They pay no attention and they go off, one to his field and another to his mansion. To walk in step with the wicked and to stand in the way that sinners take. They instead choose to sit in the White House in the company of mockers. To lie on behalf of a compromised president. To mischaracterize people of integrity such as the late Senator John McCain. And the, career of the careers of service people in the FBI and the federal government. To co-sign with a foreign policy that shows favoritism for certain groups in the Middle East simply because of their faulty hermeneutic and their one-sided view of their understanding of the redemption of God. So instead of accepting the wedding invitation, the Bible tells us that they go so far as to seize the king's prophets, the truth-tellers, mistreating them and persecuting them simply because they have become blinded by their own lust for filthy lucre and have been turned over now to a reprobate mind. It is this same nation, one nation under God, that killed the prophet Dr. King. You got to understand where you live, church. You got to understand that we are in difficult times. This message is about waking up to social justice. So they were invited to the banquet. And they refused to come. So let me wrap this up. So the king was enraged. And this is the part I love. He sent his army and destroyed the murderers and burned their city. This army today is a spiritual army. And it makes its way this Thursday to Washington, D.C. And, and they're bringing a message of hope to this nation. Because the text tells us, watch this. Look, it's in the text. The text tells us in verse 8, he then said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. You see, the church, the church, is on its way to D.C. And it's God's prophetic army that is sending a strong message to this nation that the king is enraged. Yet while the king is enraged, you still have opportunity to repent, repent, and to turn from your wicked ways, America, or else there will be hell to pay. Now again, to be clear, brothers and sisters, this is an unusual message for me on a communion Sunday. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the hypocrisy 
of the white evangelical church. That's not my message or even the hypocrisy, let me be clear, of other religious groups. I'm talking about Muslims who are silent. I'm talking about Mormons who are silent. I'm talking about Buddhists who are silent. I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church who I'm talking about everybody who considers themselves Christian and believers and people of God who are silent about what is happening in this nation. I'm talking to all of them. So I ain't just picking out one group. But I'm telling you that, that, that your silence is complicity with this immoral, corrupt, and socially unjust administration. But I ain't really talking about them so much in this message. It ain't about all of them and their hypocrisy. This message is really about the invitation to those who have been left out, those who have been marginalized, those who have been mistreated and abandoned by a government that has as its ideal the mandate to become a more perfect union in protecting the civil liberty of its citizens. This message is about anyone black, white, green, yellow, pink, indigo, or polka dot. Whatever you is, this message is that if you happen to feel like you have been victimized and marginalized, then guess what? Your inalienable right as a child of God means that the king is enraged on your behalf and you are invited to his banquet. The message is about the invitation to the banquet that really matters. So you can have your party on the lawn of the White House, but I want to have my party at the wedding feast of the king. <laughs> Jesus himself invites us to share in his fellowship in holy communion with all the saints. For he reminds us, church, that, that let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> you see, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be there also. So if you felt left out, you're invited. If you feel like you're the victim of physical and emotional abuse, you're invited. If you've been mistreated by those who have been given the charge to protect you, you're invited. If you've been marginalized, passed over, cast aside, you are invited. But the invitation begins with accepting the invitation of invitations. And that is making the Lord Jesus Christ your personal savior. That's where it begins. Because the fact of the matter is, you can't come to the master's house any old kind of way. You need to be clothed in his blood. You need to be clothed in his righteousness. Because if you sneak in, ain't got no business being there. If you happen to Jim Screechy through the door, if you happen to pretend like you should be at the party, well, when the king came in to look over at the dinner guests, 
he saw someone there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, watch how graceful God is. Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the Bible tells us he went, Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In a place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Church, like I said, my purpose today was not to just preach a message that's going to make you jump and just get excited. I've, we've done that and we have those moments and we have those times. But we are living in serious times. And as bad as things are now, believe me when I tell you, they are going to get worse. The church, the AME church in particular, has been in this nation for over 200 years. And we have been the conscience of this nation. I firmly believe that the only reason why God has not already wiped out. You see, he said he sent his servants. And what do they do? They wipe them all out. The only reason I think that God has not done that yet is because there is still a church at the corner of Jackson and Franklin that still will lift up a holy God that will still worship him. And oh, by the way, God is adding to the number of that little church at the corner of Jackson and Franklin with the Emmanuel AME Church, who their name happens to mean God with us. So who stands with you and who stands against you? Watch out. Be careful for the king is coming. But you must be prepared. So at this time, I'll ask you all to stand. And before we take communion and depart from this place, I want to extend the invitation to someone who you've heard this message, an unusual message on social justice. But somehow it touched your heart in a way that says, you know what? I want to be counted in the number. I want to be one of those that are called, not only called, but also chosen. So whether you are rich, poor, Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, French, Jamaican, Japanese, Yupanese, Mipanese, Weepanese, whatever you are to call yourself, I am telling you that the invitation is wide open and all you need to do is just say yes.